exactly finished Samuel. And I know some of you will be very, very upset about that. But we have a strange passage today. Um, It concerns a witch, a medium, if you like, someone who talks to the dead, all these things. And um, I need to set some ground rules, really, because the writer isn't telling us a lot of information about what happens when someone dies. That's not the purpose of this passage. It does touch on it, and it would only be right, therefore, that I'll touch on it. But this is an Old Testament passage, and um, what the writer wants us to see is that God is removing Saul, he's coming to the end of his reign, and bringing in David. That's the contrast, not the witch. The witch just forms part of the passage, but the real message from the passage is that as God removes Saul, he's already bringing in David. Have we got the ground rules? Good. I know what people's minds are like. They, They will go the wrong way. Right, we need to set a little bit of history, and, and as such, we'll look at Deuteronomy first, please, Graham. Just put the first passage up. Thank you. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and there are several of these I could have chosen. It says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. You need to know Israel's, Israel's history. They came out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness... They messed up, so he left them in the wilderness. They could have gone through in about 11 days, but they spend the next 40 years there where that generation is removed. They die off, and the children themselves have entered the promised land. But God knows what lies ahead. And do you know what? Even in that message alone, if you make that personal to you, God knows what lies ahead in your life. And that's wonderful. I know, and I have had the privilege of praying with some of you, where you've needed a miracle, a breakthrough, and because God knows what lies ahead, he's already working things out before we even get there. Isn't that good? Isn't that reassuring? The sad thing for Israel, and the sad thing for us, is that actually they did learn to imitate the nations that they were supposed to not imitate. What should have happened was Joshua took them in. They, uh, God didn't remove the issues in one go. He left them there and said, if, if I do it too quickly, then basically that's not going to be to your advantage. You need to learn and grow and conquer the land. And in, in defeating some of these things that God leaves in our lives, actually... We grow stronger. If it was just a vending machine in the sky, and sometimes we treat him like that, then actually we ask, we receive. That would not actually just make us like Joshua. We'd just be babies. We'd be ineffective. And so God's way has always been this way. But he's warned them. And he does that to us. He tells you what you can do and what you can't do. But the, the freedom that we have means we have that freedom to choose. And the problem when we have freedom to choose is, do you know what? We freely mess up. All of us do. 
So he's warning them, don't do what they do. That's detestable to God's standard. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. Paganism included child sacrifice. It was a reality. And actually, on occasion, Israel would be drawn into it. Sacrificing to these false gods. Demonic things, really. And, I mean, fancy giving up your child. But people were doing that. And God knew, and he's warning them not to do this. Who practice divination or sorcery or interprets omens or engaged in witchcraft. All of it is an abomination to God. It's detestable in his sight. And let me say this, look. As someone who has dabbled with an Ouija board and done things that I wish I'd never done. I've done the astral planing and things like that. Okay? And it's real. That's the trouble with this stuff. If it was just false, then people would get bored with it and move on to the real thing. The trouble with some of this stuff is actually it's very real and very damaging to to people. So, don't do it. If you have been involved in it, then we need to repent, we need to turn to God, seek his forgiveness, seek his love, seek his grace, and leave it in the past. And don't go back to it. Anyone who casts spells, or who is a medium, or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. And it's this one that we're going to look at today. So he's told them not to do it. And then, lo and behold, let's have a look at 1 Samuel. A few hundred years later, we find the very things happening. Thank you. 1 Samuel 28, and this is where we left it last week. David said then to Achish, the the king, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. And Achish replied, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. David, if you remember and you were here last week, he's been raiding and Achish, the king of Gath, thinks he's raiding the Israelites and really he's not. He's, he's doing other things against Israel's enemy but part of his action meant they had to kill everyone. This future king, this man after God's own heart, had to kill people otherwise his ruse would be discovered, unearthed. And David is there for about 16 months at this place called Ziklag and he's getting deeper and deeper engrossed and entrenched with the Philistines. And you know if we were writing it, we would carry on the story. But the writer is very clever. He sticks in something now which really is happening in the background. And You're left hanging. How will this David escape from this awful um, bind that he's got himself into? How is he going to escape from the Philistines themselves? And the writer just leaves you hanging on a thread. If I'm fairly quick today, we will find out partly how he gets away with it. But we'll probably have to wait till next week. So verse 3 says, now Samuel was dead. Well, we, we, we heard about that in chapter 25, actually. That Samuel, the prophet, God's spokesman, had died. But he wants us to link it with the, with the comment about Saul. Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul, look, Saul had expelled the mediums 
and the spirit is from the land. And the writer is telling us that Saul did that under Samuel's direction. Samuel and Saul, in the same paragraph, in the same verse, Samuel will have told him what the law required. Saul, as king, had carried out that, that uh, act, if you like. So there was, he's got rid of them. And following on from the period of Judges, Samuel is the last judge. So following on from, from that period, where everyone did it, what they, they considered was right in their own eyes, we now should have a land that is free of witchcraft. Or is it? Let's have a look. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. Gilboa is a mountainous region, and Shunem is the plains. Now it's significant, the two locations are significant. You've got the Israelites looking down over the plain, and the Philistine army is gathered, and they have chariots. Foot soldiers against chariots, very, very bad news if you're a foot soldier. And that's what Saul is looking at. A really hopeless situation. It's significant as well in verse 4, because they know now that Samuel is dead. When they'd previously gathered against the nation, all Samuel had done. Can anyone remember what Samuel did when the Philistines... Go ahead, Graham, what had he done? He raised his hands, he held a prayer meeting. He did a sacrifice, held a prayer meeting, it got very dark, thunder and lightning, the Philistines panicked, God just did, a, did his thing, and Israel won again. The Philistines didn't like Samuel. They were frightened of him, and frightened of his God. But now he's dead. And what is going to happen next? Well, they know Saul's, no, no Samuel, and so... They've gathered to defeat Israel. When I was putting this message together, have you ever studied Israel's history? Have you ever studied how nation after nation has attempted to remove Israel from the earth? This is no accident, by the way. This is in itself is satanic. We don't have to go back far in our history to see that that is still the determination of certain people. The Middle East is the centre of the world. It isn't America, it is not Russia, it is always and always will be Israel. Why? Absolutely. God's chosen people. Jesus, when he returns to earth, is coming to where? Jerusalem. He's declared it in advance, and so the enemy wants no Jerusalem. It wants no Israel, and for a long time, there was no Israel. For something like nearly 2,000 years, Israel didn't exist. If there is no Israel, he cannot return to Israel. But of course, God, who is not in time, has always said he's coming back to Israel, and trust me, Israel will always be around. Well, these are having their go. They're going to try and wipe them out. So when Saul sees, saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. I'll bet he was. You're the king. You're looking at this massive army. And everyone's looking at you and saying, well, I'm glad I'm not king. 
where's that young man who chopped Goliath's head off? Oh no, you've been chasing him for the last ten years. So now, Saul, it's on you. We're looking at you. But terror fills his heart. Some of the saddest words in scripture, really. That terror would fill your heart. There is almost a contradiction for a Christian to know terror. Come on, why? Absolutely, Catherine. You're never alone. You're never, ever alone. He is there with you. And if he's there with you, you plus one changes everything. Always has, always will. But he doesn't have God, you see. Saul lost his communication with God. What has Saul done? Well, he disobeyed God. God gave him an instruction and Saul said, I know better than you, God. I don't really need to carry out your instructions. And God said, actually, Saul, you do. And because you've rejected me, I will reject you. God does that sort of thing. If you want to reject him, that's your free freedom to do so. But if, if we do that, well, then we take him out of the equation. So Saul inquired of the Lord, which is quite interesting because a few chapters earlier he'd wiped out everyone who could inquire of the Lord. In his temper, he'd wiped out the priesthood. There was one priest left, and that priest was David. So there's no way Saul's going to hear. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by the Urim or the prophets. The Urim is, is we believe... Is some kind of like dice that they threw and they would use it several times and then as long as they were getting the same answer over and over again, they believed that that was God's will. Old Testament. You don't need an Urim or a prophet to tell you what to do. You yourself have the Spirit of God living within you if you are born again. And if you are born again, you can hear from God as much as anybody else can hear from God. What a lonely place to be on a hillside looking down at people who want the worst for you and God is silent. God is sometimes silent. Even to his children in the New Testament. Even to his children today. God sometimes doesn't speak. We've got his word, of course. And he's always speaking to you through his word. We've got fellow believers around us. Some who will speak wise words into your life, give guidance. But he's on a hillside looking down, and God is silent. Move on. So Saul comes up with a master plan. Saul then said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go and inquire of her. That's interesting. I thought you'd just told us they were all moved out. Well, perhaps not all then. And isn't it interesting that his attendants know where one is? Compromise. Compromise is always the downfall of people. When we compromise against God's word, we set ourselves up to fail. Let me say that again. When we compromise against God's word, we set ourselves up for failure. Please don't compromise. So his attendant says, look, there's a one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on the other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Saul, this man who is a head taller than all the other people, dressed in his royal robes to identify him as the king, 
changes and thinks that the darkness will hide him. What you do in the dark, God knows. Did you like that voice? Because I could have shouted, but God's not deaf. Sometimes I think we are. Whatever we do, in the day or in the night, is before our Lord. He thinks he's hiding. So he goes to the woman and says, consult a spirit for me. He said, and bring up for me the one I name. And here we enter the dangerous ground of talking to the dead. But God's just say you shouldn't do that. So don't do it. For those who are a little bit hard of hearing, don't do it. Do not talk to the dead. You know, it says in the Bible that all scripture is God-breathed. That's a New Testament passage, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is useful for correction and instruction and teaching. All scripture. This is scripture. It is here for a purpose. Bring up for me the one I name. Let's have a look who he names. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off all the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for me, for my life to bring about my death? She knows that it's against the rules of the land. She knows that if Saul finds out, then her life's in danger. She doesn't know she's talking to Saul, which is quite ironic. And Saul swore to her, and this is interesting, isn't it? By the Lord, hang on a minute, I thought the Lord had said, don't do this, Saul. Do you think Saul's a little bit confused? Lost the way a bit? A little bit desperate. And do you know what? That's a great description of what Matt has just said. When we are in desperate times, we can do some strange things. We can do some strange things. So Saul swears by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, bracket Saul he does. So why are you talking to a spiritualist who he said don't do it to? You will know, you will not be punished for this. Well, not by the king, but maybe by the king, if you would. Elsewhere, actually, it says they should be put to death. Go ahead. Thank you. And then the woman asked, whom then shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. And this is interesting, because if you know the story, back in chapter 25, Samuel had given him instructions, and Saul had ignored the instructions. Isn't it funny now he wants to hear what Samuel's got, got to say on something, when if he'd listened in the first instance, he wouldn't necessarily need this to happen. Desperate times indeed. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Do you think the woman's a bit surprised that the real deal came out up? Oh yes. Maybe she was used to doing it through someone else, some intermediary to speak to, speak to the dead. But this event, and if you let the text just be literally received, it's clear that this woman... He's now talking to Samuel. 
What does that do with your thinking? Anything? Scary. Well, let's, let's just pad it out a little bit, look. Samuel is still Samuel. See, some people believe that actually when you're dead, that's it. Gone, just like going to sleep. Nothing else happens. There is no afterlife, nothing like that. But if this is the word of God, and it is, then this tells me that Samuel is still Samuel when he's dead and buried. Mm. Not only is Samuel still Samuel, Samuel knows Saul. Now, as a believer, I want to know people after I'm dead. Is Samuel in distress? Is, is he frightened of where he's at? Let's have a look. Let's move it on. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? Clearly Saul can't see Samuel. Because if he could, he wouldn't have to ask, ask that question. So he knows something's happening, but he doesn't see it. The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. Well, this is a scary place to be today. Go ahead. What does he look like, he asked. He's an old man wearing a robe, he's coming up, she said. And then Saul know, knew it was Samuel. And he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Saul, why are you worshipping someone who's dead? Some of you look very confused. <laughs> look, I didn't write it. It's there. The beauty of going through the books of the Bible is that you cover everything. You have a situation where the king has gone to speak to someone who's dead. He's gone because he, Samuel, had the word of the Lord in his day. Saul is desperate and he's got nowhere else in his own mind to go. Let's just lighten the room a little bit. What could Saul have done? Or should have done? Well, he's asked God and God was quiet. Do you know what? I think you're right, Graham. I think that was his only solution. Because he knows David is the king, and he knows his day was numbered. Samuel had said to him, that's the last thing Samuel had ever spoken to Saul, was that God will rip the kingdom out of your hand. And now David is going to be the king. And that king has access to God. It was David he should have gone to, not a witch. Not a medium, not a sorceress, not someone communicating with the dead. Hmm, aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> well, I am. Nothing to be frightened of here, by the way. So he's now talking to a dead man. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Fascinating. Samuel was at peace wherever Samuel was. That's quite comforting. He's at peace wherever he was. Well, Saul's a selfish guy, so he says, look, I'm in great distress. You might be alright where you are, mate, but I'm actually in great distress. Is this really Samuel that he's talking to? Saul said, the Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by the prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you 
to tell me what to do. You should have called Ghostbusters. Yeah, that was a little joke. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. <laughs> Look. What a hopeless situation. Let me, let me just tell you something. Look. The writer isn't telling us about the dead. He's telling us about the incident. But if you put this passage with a few other passages, we can learn something about what happens when we die. And that's not bad, because everyone in this room will one day probably die. We do know this, look. In the Old Testament picture, pre the cross, that there was seen to be like a holding place where the dead went. And, and look, you can take this how it is, or you can ignore it. And it th- this is, some of this is conjecture. Conjecture? There seems to be a holding place where the dead go in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, after the cross, Jesus turned to the man next to him on the cross and said, today you will be with me in paradise. So paradise was somewhere. I think that this is what paradise is. I think Old Testament saints went to be in paradise. They didn't go to heaven. But it also says later on in the New Testament that Jesus led captivity captive and he takes it up to heaven with him. So now Samuel will be in heaven. If my understanding, my theology is correct, it may or may not be. But if that's the case, then Samuel was accompanied by Christ when he ascended to heaven. So for us today, when we die, when we die, we are still us. We will know other people. You will be at peace. Paul would write, to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. It's fairly clear. That is good news, smile. Smile, okay, good. We get sorry. Absolutely good news. Absolutely good news. But this is pre the cross. And he's called on him and asked him what he's to do. Like I said, if he'd obeyed him when he was alive, Saul would not be in this situation. It is a situation of his own making. And one of the lessons that we can learn, and this is such an important lesson, we're ten years at least on from David and Goliath. Ten years where Saul has probably pursued David relentlessly. And one of the questions that you've got to ask is, why didn't God stop him? Why didn't God just remove Saul ten years ago and let David be king? Well, being a good little Bible teacher, I will now explain it to you. God does not judge in time. Listen, hear, hear what I'm saying. God judges morally. Just because God does not act when we do wrong does not mean he's just closing his eyes at what is happening. He, his judgment is morally against his standard And that behaviour, if you like, he will judge one day. Some people take the wrong path where they think if God is not acting immediately, 
then God is allowing something. Do you, do you understand what I've just said? Right? The absence of God's involvement means that he's allowing it. That is never the case in the Bible. God is in no hurry. What he will do is he will take our behaviour and our consequences he will allow in our lives and... Uh, sorry, have you got a headache, Michelle? Am I giving you a headache? Yeah, yeah I could tell. <laughs> right. Let me go back. because I, I want you, It's important you understand this. God could have intervened with Saul's life immediately. In the moment Saul went wrong, God could have said, enough, squash, next one. He could do that, can't he? He's God. Right? But he chooses not to do that in Saul's life and ours. He will rather the mistakes happen. We did Hebrews 12 on Tuesday night Bible study. God does discipline his children. But there's a purpose in allowing our mistakes to grow us. And there's always an opportunity to come back to God. When that opportunity is passed, you're in a situation like this. You, you will stop hearing from God. You can stop God speaking into your life. You can go hard of hearing. You can harden your hearts. That's all New Testament stuff. Your conscience can be seared if you repeatedly, if you repeatedly ignore God's guidance. But because he judges morally, whatever we are doing will be judged. Got it? Got it? Headache better than your friend? Perhaps not. We'll talk later. So here we have the situation. Back to the text. Saul wanting to know what to do. And will Samuel tell him? Let's have a look. Samuel said, why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy. That is a bad place to be. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. In other words, go back to 24, 25. And I told you, Saul, what was going to happen. You should have been changing your behaviour. You didn't do. So this is coming now. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbours. And there's our guy, to David. That's what's going to happen, Saul. It's decreed now. It's too late. And guess what's going to happen to you? Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. Could have done it ten years ago. But today his judgment has come. And there's nothing you can do about it now. Saul will reap what he has sown. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. We don't journey through life alone. Our actions influence other people. Some people get that misunderstood. But Saul, you've messed up. The nation itself is going to be punished. And guess what? Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of the Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Is that Samuel? Well, God's doing something, that's for sure. Samuel is speaking the truth. Because that's exactly what happens. Saul dies. If it was demonic, they don't glorify God. They never tell you the truth. Demons only lie. If it was really Samuel, 
And I believe it entirely was Samuel. What he said came to pass. But you are New Testament saints now. You are New Testament. But you're still not to faff around on attempt to contact the dead or do any of this nonsense. Are we clear? Hmm. We'll move it on. Thank you. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground. I'll bet he did. He was filled with fear because of Samuel's words and his strength was gone for he'd eaten nothing all that day and that night. We'll rapidly move through. Yep. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. The last meal. He refused and said, I'll not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him and he listened to them. He got up from the, couch, sorry, up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf. Everyone, ever noticed everyone's got a fattened calf? We've got a packet of biscuits. But they just bring out these fatted calves. Which she slaughtered at once. It's always bad news to be a fatted calf. She took some flour, kneaded and baked it without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men and they ate. That same night they got up and left. New chapter. New chapter. Saul. God has washed his hands of him. He's going to his death. He's going to his last battle. But now the writer takes us back to the beginning of the chapter and reminds us what's happening with David. Now David hasn't always got it right. In fact, he will always mess up. He's done some strange things. David, through your own choices, you're actually in the enemy camp. Does that mean God's left him? No. Is that good news for those of you and me who mess up? That's really good news. If the standard was to be 10 out of 10, well, we'd be worshipping God like that. But actually, we're in good company. I think sometimes we just, we just forget his grace. This isn't a license to mess up. It's not a license to do anything. But I tell you something... God knows us. He knows how rubbish sometimes at life we can be. He knows that sometimes we make some really bad choices. And he's ahead of us, preparing the way to get us back to him. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek and Israel camped by the spring at Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with the units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Akish. Now, I was going to use a different passage, but I won't, because I can see it's a bit heavy today. To understand this story, you need to look in Chronicles. When David had gone to Ziklag, he had 600 men with him, and their wives and their children. But the passage I've got loaded on Song Pro tells you that thousands of people are coming to David now. Over that 16 months, thousands of people from Israel 
realise that Saul's time is coming to an end. And they are joining forces now with David. And David's army is swelling. And David is in a, a rock, between a rock and a hard place. The Philistines are against his country. Does he fight with them and go against his own people? Or will he suddenly do a revolt and actually tackle the, the Philistines? Or will there be a third option? A God option? Move it on. The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? And Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He's already been with me for over a year. And from the day he left Saul until now, I found no fault in him. Remember, he wanted to make him the bodyguard, the king's um, elite troops. And he must, he must think, look, I'm on a winner here. David's getting more and more men. And if you read that passage that I've got loaded from 1 Chronicles 12, some of these guys are a tremendous warriors. It says that some of them can take a thousand people on. Thousand. You'd like to go to war with one of them. Or half a dozen of them. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, Send the men back that he may return to the place that you have assigned him. That's Ziklag. He must not go with us into battle or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our men. Well, you've just told me there were thousands of Philistines. Really? Yes. Israel itself as a nation is in dire straits. They will lose this war, this battle. But David won't be part of it. God intervenes right at the end. Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They know who David is. They know that David killed Goliath, their champion. They know what a warrior it is. And to have him and his army at the back of them, the Philistines are afraid. So look, he sends them back. Have I put that scripture on, Graham? So Akish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable. That's interesting because you've got a pagan Philistine saying that the Lord lives. You have been reliable and I would be pleased for you to serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. Ever been surprised by God? Ever looked at a situation and thought, there's only two ways here. I can go that way, or I can go that way. And then God comes up with a third way. Or is that just me? This is our God. This is our God who is at work in David's life, saying, look, you've got yourself into this mess. You've got yourself into this mess. It began when you began to make decisions without involving me. That's always a dangerous place to be. When we make decisions, and it says at the beginning of, of 26 that David thought to himself, and then he began to, his actions. When we're in that dire mess, 
God's not left us. He's still there. He's still at work. But there will be consequences from these decisions that we take. We will end it here, but just want as, as I summarise it. This other passage shows that the armies are gathering. David will soon be king. God's word will always come to pass, you know. Always come to pass. If you've had a word from the Lord, right on, on the button, then it's going to happen. It's this timing that is always, always the most difficult. God says something and we think, right, today God. And he might be saying, no, years time, ten years time. When you are prepared for what I have planned for you, that's when you'll know what I want. It's hard, isn't it, this, this walk? Does, it, does anybody else just sort of cruise through? I think it's hard sometimes. It is hard. Just me and you then, Chris. Yeah, them lot of liars, but me and you are telling the truth. It's hard. What do you struggle with? What's the, what's the hardest thing you all struggle with? I know that, Ken, for you. That's fine. <laughs> no, no. Do you know, Ken? No, I'm sorry, mate. No. No, you're not being sarky. You're being truthful, mate. Why does Ken struggle with sin? Because he's human. Do you know what? But, but I go back to what I said about the nation coming, coming into the promised land. God could have said... Right, okay, Joshua, I've cleared out everyone ahead of you. Just go in, eat, eat the, off the, the fruit of the, everyone's labour and have a nice time. Just get some harps out, have a party, that'll do. But God doesn't say that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you'll have it easy. My Bible says you'll have it really tough, actually, the way I read it. Being a Christian, and I've said this recently, is the most difficult thing anyone in this room will ever do. Staying on track is incredibly hard. Because we all struggle with sinking. Join the club, you're just being more truthful than that side. These must be the Holy Joes. Upset Michelle. <laughs> Spy in the camp. What else does someone struggle with? Patience. Well, why, do, why would Catherine struggle with patience? Yeah, that, that's the, the outcome. But let me, let me give you a passage. Love, joy, peace, patience. It is a fruit. It is part of the Holy Spirit growing more in our lives. We all want to be more patient. Actually, Catherine's impatience is growing my patience. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I'm sure my impatience is growing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And I'm sure my impatience is sharpening other people's patience. One more. What are we struggling with? Life itself. Right. What a way to end the sermon. Darren is struggling with life itself. I know a man who said this. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you what? Rest. The answer to struggling with life itself is to come to him. 
I have come to bring what? Life and life in a abundance. No wonder you struggle with life if you don't have Christ. You do. Well then we need to feed what is alive in you. And as, as more and more of him becomes visible in our lives, the patience is taken care of. I can give you a reference of someone who would say, who would say to me, before you stands a very angry man. Not that long ago. Not that long ago. And yet by yielding to God, I don't get angry. Anything like I used to get angry. I have more patience than I've ever had in my life. And it's all to do with yielding to the word of God. So true. See, so true. That's my reference. I'll end there. Because come on, let's, let's worship this living God who came to bring life and life in abundance.